the first subject that I want to call your attention to tonight is the handout called God-Focused and Christ-Centered Teaching. Um, I think I said tonight. I meant this morning, okay? Um, but uh, that'll be the, the subject that we get going on here in just a minute. Um, and as we start turning our attention to that type of thing, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we bow our heads before you to physically indicate to you that we are humbling ourselves before you as the true and the living God. We know, Father, that you are sovereign, you are almighty, that you are ever-present, that you never forget, you're always faithful. Pray, Father, that you would send your spirit among us this morning to help us to reason together about how to be better teachers of your word, how to make disciples of our students, to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, that you would be with those who would like to be here, but their life circumstances make it impossible for them to come. Pray that you would minister to their hearts, remind them that uh, you are a faithful God. We pray, too, Father, for um, the pastors in our land who are preparing sermons for tomorrow that you might send your spirit in a fresh way to guide and teach them to be faithful ministers of your word. Pray to Father, for folks that will be teaching the scriptures tomorrow in what we call Sunday school. Pray that you would, again, anoint them in their preparation. Pray that today would be a day for them to understand better your word, that they might be able to disciple their students better tomorrow. Father, we ask this uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior, and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk with you for a few minutes about uh, what I'm calling God-focused and Christ-centered teaching or discipleship. Um, This, I think... um, is, is a subject that's you know, really important for us as Bible teachers and Christians in general to you know, really begin to get a fresh grip on if we've got a loose grip, okay? Uh, if you've got a firm grip on it, I hope this is a time for you to hold tighter to a very, very important thing. Um, there's a lot of Bible teaching that goes on that is not God-focused and Christ-centered. And if your Christian radio station here is like the ones all most around the country, you'll just turn it on on your way home, and you'll begin to notice that. Um, There's a lot of principle Bible teaching going on. There's a lot of moralistic Bible teaching going on. There's a lot of feel-good Bible teaching going on but not a lot of God-focused and Christ-centered Bible teaching. And the reason I'm pointing this out, I think uh, it's kind of summed up, um, you know, in that first question of the Westminster uh, Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's think about our Bibles for a minute. Why do we teach our Bibles? All right, now I'm Roman numeral two here on your outline. 
Um, why do we teach God's Word? Well, there's three reasons we teach God's Word. First reason is God authored it. Okay, now I'm just going to kind of break this down into, you all are maybe teachers, you can bear with me while we kind of take this apart and then you can put it all back together into one big thing. So we're going to take, take apart this one big thing about Bible teaching and uh, look at some parts and put it together here. But why do we teach God's Word? He authored His Word. So we need a Bible reader, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, unless someone can quote it. So any Bible quoters this morning? Correction, training in righteousness, why? What's the next verse? Yep, that the man of God may be adequately, oh gosh. There you go, all right. So, you know, you can see God inspired his word right there. And the, the, the word inspired means, means breathed. It, it came right out of his being. Okay, it's like he exhaled it. Okay, is the concept there. And what, we're, what the scriptures are emphasizing to us is, you know, there's a number of things in there that I don't want to deal with, but it's, it's emphasizing here to us, this is God's book. All right? Now, God authored this book, and it's about him. Okay, we'll delve into that even more here closely, but just think about who wrote this, who gave us this, what's the source, where did it come from? God Almighty, he determined to reveal himself to us through his word. Now, let's stop and think for a moment, what would we know of God if we did not have our Bibles? Not much, okay? All right? We would have some general revelation, which Romans talks about, the creation declares, the firmament, the heavens, that we'd kind of all stand around and go, wow, okay? You're, if, if you've ever been on a hike or been in the you know, national parks out in the west and the grandeur of the mountains or the, been on some of the seacoast parks, and people are, they don't know the Lord at all, but they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of having this quasi-religious experience. Well, what is going on is that they are experiencing some of the general revelation of God, and they're in awe of it, okay? Well, when we look at the ocean or the mountains or the sunset, we know that God who created it, and he's trying to say to us in general revelation, I'm here, are you listening, okay? Now, we have what we call special revelation in his word. Okay? We have Christ, the living word. We have the written word giving us salvation, the message of salvation, that this almighty God that we have some sense of in our conscience and we see in creation is revealing himself to us okay? in a very personal way. All right? And that's given to us in this book we call the Bible. Now, my Bible, I have an old Bible. Well, it's not old, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the old version, okay? It's leather, you know, it used to have the gold nice edges and stuff like that. And it sort of says on here, you still read it, it says, Holy Bible, all right? Now, 
you know, I have a complete set of the works of Dickens, all right? It, it doesn't say holy Dickens on there or, or you know, holy something, okay? All right? Maybe, maybe you like to read uh, Tom Clancy books or something, you know, all those kind of things he does. They, there's nothing holy about those. <laughs> They're just fun adventure kind of storybooks. You know, I don't know what you like to read, okay? But you got the idea. This is the holy Bible because the holy God, perfect, pure, righteous, never sinned God, gave us this. And he gave us a pure, holy revelation of himself. All right, now, I, I'm not trying to beat you up about this, but for those of us that teach, we need to keep that in mind, all right, as we prepare and as we teach and communicate this to our students, all right? Folks, we're not just having Bible study. We're learning about Almighty God through this Bible study, all right? We're not just learning biblical morals. We're learning about the God of the morals, okay? We're not learning about a bunch of promises. We're learning about the God who gave the promises and who will keep the promises. Right? So God authors his word right, to us. So that's an important thing about why do we teach this? God gave it to us. Now, B here, Roman numeral number two. God's the main subject and the main character of his word. All right? Now, he wrote it, he's the main subject and the main character, which makes this, what would we call this in, in literary terms? An autobiography. I've even seen a book, you know, guy, that, I think, uh, I can't oh, who was the author, but that's the title, The Autobiography of God, and it's a theology book on the doctrines of God. It's kind of, you know, the author of the book, he, I, he got it. <laughs> okay. And uh, I thought, oh, that, yeah, I know what he's driving at here. He's trying to let us know, wait a minute, God wrote this, or he's the author, he's the subject, it's about him, and he did it, okay? All right, so who can tell me the two big-time Bible characters mentioned in 1 Samuel 17? That's the passage I want to call your attention to. David and Goliath, David and Goliath are in, have you heard of them? Okay, all right. You know, I, I bet you if we, if we went over to local high school, by the way, is there a high school on this, you know, I wondered if this, the bear, are they the bears by any chance? Oh, good. You know, they wouldn't want to be the lions or the kitty cats or anything. They're the bears. Okay. The eight and oh. Well, they must be pretty good bears then. Okay. Well, may, I think, <laughs> they're, it's, it's a miracle. <laughs> Oh, dear, well, hopefully they won't run into lions somewhere who chew them up, okay? But you got the idea. Okay, well, I saw those bear paws on the, uh, on the, painted on the road, and about bear paw road, I thought, I wonder if there's a high school down here, you know? We were talking about that actually before you, you were coming, because we went into Falls Camp with the kids on a football night, they knew our parking. Oh, okay. You know, I could preach at the halftime. That's <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. You and my father, you know. 
my dad was an Ohio State grad, and he liked to go to the football games to watch the band, which I just did not understand as a child. <laughs> but now that I'm an adult, he had overdosed on it as a child, the football part of it. <laughs> anyway, and uh, so now I like to watch the band too. And other, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. So back, yeah, back to the subject at hand here. Okay, God's the main subject and the main character of his word, all right? David and Goliath, a great illustration of this, all right? So if you've got 1 Samuel 17 in front of you, I want to call your attention to verses 45 to 47, if you're taking notes, all right? Now, I can rehearse real fast for you this encounter between David and Goliath, okay? You had the armies of Israel, the armies of the Philistines, all right? You had the Philistines taunting the armies of Israel, the army of Israel is very afraid. Ho, oh, ho, look at those guys. And they got the big guy down there, okay? And he's saying, come on down here. Send your best guy. We'll settle this, okay? And they're all standing up and going, not me, not me. I'm not going down there, okay? And David shows up, and he says, what's going on, guys? And he said, see the big guy down there? We're in big trouble, <laughs> okay? And David says, I'll take him on. So they put Saul's armor on him. Didn't fit right, okay? And... Uh, you know, all this stuff that goes on. And so he goes down there with his slingshot, all right? Has this encounter with Goliath, all right? Now, listen to this encounter, all right? Verse 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, now just visualize this. This is David saying this to Goliath. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So wh who's David relying on? God, all right? Who's David pointing Goliath's attention to? God, all right? Sounds like you've heard this sermon, okay? <laughs> this day, this is David talking to Goliath again, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. All right. All right. You, you following what he's saying to Goliath there? All right. He's saying, God is going to do this. God's going to give you into my hand. God's going to ruin your army. It's going to be a bad day for you guys. Okay? Why? Why is this all happening? It tells us right here in this verse, and that's why I'm using this passage, because it's so plain, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Now, why do we teach about David and Goliath? Well, we better be teaching it so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. That's why this is here. It's not about David and Goliath. It's about God. All right? And David's making that plain to Goliath. All right? And says in 47, And all of the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He's telling Goliath, Goliath, this is about what God's doing. This isn't about you and I. 
Not, not that I you know, won the gold medal last year in slingshot. You know, I can't miss you're so big. Or that I'm so strong and courageous and smart and good. No. This encounter is taking place that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. What we see here is God is the main subject and the main character of this passage, not David and Goliath. It's so important to understand that because if we teach this that, oh, David was courageous, oh, Goliath with this and that and all this stuff, we miss God. This isn't about these guys. If you kind of step back from the Bible for a minute and look at the whole Bible, why does it tell us about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, are you getting the point? Peter, Paul, Timothy, Silas, the church at Laodicea, the church in Ephesus. Why is all that stuff in there? That we might know God. Those things are not in there and those people are not there that we learn about them. Now we learn about them, but the process of learning about them is to turn our attention to God. And if we teach the Bible all focused on the people and the events of the Bible and we don't keep God the main focus, we're missing the Lord. We're missing the whole point of it. Okay. And so as we prepare to teach God's word, we need to keep in mind the main thing here is God and who he is and his work of redemption in Christ and the work of his spirit in our lives. Keep it on him. Okay. Uh, remember last night, if you were here, uh, the, the first book I encourage you to study up on uh, in parenting and grandparenting is your Bible. Okay? Does anybody remember the second book that was on the list? Yeah, Shepherding, Shepherding Your Child's Heart. Well, in essence, that's what I'm trying to say is these people are here, these events are in the Bible, these things to shepherd us to Christ, to turn our attention to God. Right? So let's not miss God. And that's why I'm saying, when you turn on the Christian radio, listen with discernment. An awful lot of Bible teaching does not do that. It's the five principles on how to have a successful marriage. Now, how many of you are opposed to having a successful marriage? I see no hands. Okay, I'm, I'm for having a successful marriage. Okay, The 15 ways to raise your children to know and love God. That's important. Or how do you successfully handle your money? I mean, it just goes on and on and on, folks. But you know what? An awful lot of that stuff you can get from unbelieving people. What's the difference? Are we God-focused, Christ-centered Christians? Are we biblical people? Or are we just nice Bible kind of people? Okay, you know what I'm saying? Just embrace some good Bible stuff. Feel, makes us feel good. Okay, That's what I'm driving at. Just to, do, do you see the value here that God is showing us himself that we can love him and know him and worship him? 
So God is the main subject and the main character of his word because he wrote it. It's about him to reveal himself to us. Now, let's look at letter C here. Christ is revealed throughout the entire Bible. All right? It's important to really understand what this is all about, that God is revealing to us his great plan of redemption, drawing his people together, we call into what we call the covenant community or the church. And we in and, and, and this passage in Luke, just again, I've tried to pick these some of these classic passages where it just in a couple of verses it just jumps out at us. Okay, we could spend lots of time, um, you know, going through the Bible doing this kind of thing in lots of other places, but these very succinctly stated. Uh, verses are, for the, the sake of the time frame that we're dealing with, are useful to help us understand. So if you, if you have Luke 24, uh, 27, would somebody read that one for us? All right. Let me give you the context of this if you're not familiar with it. Jesus had been crucified... Right? And he had not yet ascended. All right? And this is one of what we call his post-resurrection, pre-ascension appearances. And he appeared to these two men who were walking on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you've heard that kind of summary of this. So he meets up with these guys, or appears to these two men, and he has some conversation with them. Okay? And this verse describes that encounter. It doesn't give us all the details, but it does describe what happened. Right? So, it says in 27 of Luke 24, this is what happened with Jesus and these men. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, explained all these things concerning himself to them in the scriptures. Now, think with me for a second. Had the New Testament been written then? No. Okay. What books of the Bible do we attribute to Moses? Does anybody know that all, Moses was the author? What are the books? First five. That we, those are lots of times called the books of Moses. If, if we were at the synagogue this morning, okay, and you know we said to the rabbi, hey, rabbi, I'm a little confused about the books of Moses. He'd say, yeah, you mean Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's, okay, got it. Okay, it's a more Jewish kind of terminology, but that's the concept, the books of Moses. All right? And with all the prophets. Now, what Old Testament books are comprised of the prophets? Lots. <laughs> Basically, the rest of them, that's a safe way to, the rabbi would say, got your star on that one, okay? All right, Moses and the prophets. All right, so and again, this is how the you know a Jewish mindset thinks about the Old Testament. And if you go over to verse, let's see if I can put my finger on uh, forty-four. It, it talks about the same kind of thing. There, it, it it talks about the law of Moses, meaning Genesis to Deuteronomy, the prophets, and the Psalms. Okay, the the poetic books. So that's kind of a you know, the way people tend to kind of categorize some of the books of the Old Testament. So, anyway, but you got the idea. So, Jesus was explaining all things concerning himself using the Old Testament. 
All right, now, we're Bible teachers. We're, so this is teacher training. We're talking about you know, being good teachers or training our grandkids or our children or whatever stuff. When you teach the Old Testament to people, when you talk to people about the Lord, do you help them understand that the Old Testament's about Jesus? See what I'm saying? It's really not about Moses, in case you're wondering. Okay. It's really not about Adam and Eve. Why are they there? Remember what I said earlier, to reveal God to us in his plan of redemption in Christ, the Messiah. Okay? God calling the elect to himself, building his kingdom. Right? It's not about the plagues of Egypt. Okay? It's not about Daniel in the lion's den. It's not about the Babylonian captivity. It's not about those things. It's not, it's just, it's, those are just human circumstances okay, to reveal God to us. Right? So let's not miss that. And so Jesus, using the Old Testament, taught people, these two men, about himself. Very interesting. Let me show you. Take, take you to Hebrews here, just a little cross-reference here. Hebrews is way on back here in the back of the Bible. Okay, so find Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you are going, oh yeah, chapter 11, Hebrews, yeah, that's that one about faith. <laughs> okay. I want about faith. I want to read to you a little bit about faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 20. Let's start at 24. Just kind of jump right in here to the middle of it. So we're just talking about faith a little bit. We're going to talk about, talk about Moses' faith. Okay. Listen to this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, he was, for he was looking to the reward. Hmm. Are you making the connection? Let me read this again. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That's talking about Moses. Yeah, there is, again, we can't explain all of that, but for somehow, God was, was showing Moses, wait a minute, this is about the Messiah, okay? Now, again, we have more revelation in the New Testament here than they had in the Old Testament. We know more about God. God's been more gracious to us in these times. All right? But right here we see a direct connect between Moses and Jesus. All right? okay. I mean, if, if you look at the Lord's Supper and think about that, all right? that was instituted at Passover. Okay? I mean, Christianity is very Jewish, okay? It's kind of a hard way to say it and think about it because, wait a second, yeah. In other words, Judaism or Christianity is rooted in Judaism, okay? The, the, the dilemma, there's probably a synagogue here in Little Rock somewhere, okay? 
You know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the Jews this morning believe a lot of the same things we believe about God, if they're orthodox at all. But they just don't believe in the Messiah. Okay? They have the same Old Testament we do. Okay? And so what we need to help them understand and ourselves understand is, wait a second, this stuff about Moses, about Daniel, these things, they're to help us understand God's work of sending his son, the Messiah, for us. So that's why we say the scripture needs to be taught in this full-orbed, broader context of what is this really about. Okay, it's about God and what he's doing in Christ. All right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you, if you Google um, Edmund Clowney, C-L-O-W-N-E-Y, um, he's written several books on Christ of the Covenants, I think is the title of one of them. He's written another one called The Covenants, Covenants, just the word covenant. Oh, oh, Palmer Robertson, thank you. Thank you. Robertson's the guy's name. Not, yeah, O, o period, Palmer Robertson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Th those would be some books that help to understand this. And again, that's why we have training like this is, you know, we need to look at the whole Bible, okay? And, you know, one of the critical things to good Bible interpretation and good Bible teaching is context. Well, we need to teach all of the Bible in the context of the whole Bible. And that's why, you know, again, you turn on the Christian radio, you're not going to hear much of this because, um, that'd be very polite there. <laughs> we, have, we have weak Bible teaching, weak Bible study, because people aren't looking at the context. They're just jumping in here trying to find the six principles about how to have a happy life. Well, guess what? I can guarantee you life won't be happy a bunch of the time. You better know the Lord. Got a text from my wife this morning, a good friend of mine, one of my best three friends from seminary. Four of us went to seminary together. Had an aneurysm last night. He's at the University Hospital in Cleveland, and they, can't, they did a surgery on him and they can't get it stopped, so they've done another surgery, and I thought, oh my, and here I go to teacher training. <laughs> and this guy's hanging on for dear life in the real sense of it. And if he survives, who knows what, it'll, what he'll be like. And I'm thinking, you know, we gotta have the bigger context here, okay? Life right now for that guy isn't happy, okay? Isn't feeling so good, all right? and his wife and his kids and everything involved. You better know the Lord. You better abide in Christ. Okay? So all that is to say, as Bible teachers, we need to constantly be asking the question, what's the context? Not just of the paragraph or chapter we're teaching, or within the book of the Bible we're teaching, but that book of the Bible in light of the whole Bible. All right? And keep that context clear. And that's part of what we're doing here is we're, we're talking about the context of all scripture here, all right? 
Everything you teach is going to be a part of this God-focused, Christ-centered context because it's all about God. And so that's what I'm trying to do is help you see this bigger picture uh, of what the Bible is about. All right. Um, if you think about this, uh, again, for, for a few minutes, um, you all know what the, the Ten Commandments here? Okay, guys? okay. Ten Commandments, okay. Exodus 20, if you're not familiar with that, is a good place to list them out pretty clear, clearly here. Okay. Now, we should teach the Ten Commandments to our children and to our adults. They should be taught. But they have to be taught in a Christ-centered manner. If we're not teaching the Ten Commandments in a Christ-centered manner, what are we doing? Think about that for a minute. If you've never thought about this. Pardon me? Well, okay. All right. But something more important than that. I'm not, def I'm not faulting what you're saying. But, the, but I think there's a bigger issue than just legalism. Pardon me? You miss out on the mercy of God. And where is the mercy of God shown us? In Christ. Okay. So you, know, you combine all of this and you start seeing, uh-oh, if we're not teaching Christ-centered Ten Commandments, we're just giving our students a Jewish message. That's all they're getting at the synagogue on this, this morning. If the rabbi's preaching on the Ten Commandments, it's the same book of Exodus we have. It's the same Ten Commandments we have. What's the difference? They have no mercy. It's, it's, it's a bunch of legalism. That, oh, my, how in the world am I going to do all this? And they're going to fail miserably. And there's no relief. Okay. Now, granted, there's some Jewish mechanisms to deal with that, but I keep thinking, ultimately... There's no sacrifices at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. It's a, that's a hard religion, folks. A hard religion. Okay. And you can see why a lot of, in quotes, Jewish people are simply Jewish by birth or um, what is it, cultural context or something. Because if you think about it a whole lot, it's a pretty, pretty hard dead end. Okay. There's, there's no relief, really, for sin. That's being taught. Okay. Now, back to us teaching the Ten Commandments. Please don't teach the Jewish Ten Commandments. Don't be good Jews. Okay. Be godly, Christ-centered Christians. We're Christians here. We are not Jews. And teaching the Ten Commandments is a great way to kind of bring that into focus. Okay. Now, First Catechism. Anybody familiar with these? Okay. Oh, some of you. Okay. What's what's question? <laughs> I think it's it's 108 or 109. Check me up. Find 108. Read read that. Yeah, I think it's 108. Okay. The 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 people who've done the catechism, mostly children, can you tell by the cover of the book. But it's real good for adults too, <laughs> okay? But of what use are the Ten Commandments? The, the 
you've just learned all ten commandments. Question, answer, question, answer. You work through all ten of them. Okay. Now, 108. Of what use are these ten commandments that you learned to you? And the answer is, they teach me what is pleasing to God and how much I need a Savior. That's the Christian message that goes with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show me what is pleasing to God, and also, I need the mercy of God. I can't do this. Okay, And God has given me mercy in Christ. That's the Christian message. We need to teach the Ten Commandments to our students and go, man, guys, we are in deep weeds or water over our heads or whatever, however you want to say that. We've got mega problems here we cannot solve. What do we do? God, we need mercy. We need Jesus to forgive us because we can't do these ten things. Can't do one of them. <laughs> okay. See what I'm saying? And, uh, Anyway, you got the idea here. So that's, again, thinking about a Christ-centered Bible teaching, a, a Christ-centered lesson plan, a Christ-centered class. Uh, well, there's a number of ways to say this, okay, um, that are, is so important um, to keep in mind. All right, so why do we teach our Bibles? God's the author, he's the main subject and character, and it's all about Jesus, okay? trying to simplify this, and uh, now, then, then we're going to talk about, again, so how, to, how does this work out a little bit, you know, in, the, in, our, in our classes, in our teaching, all right? Let me give you some practical things here to remember. This is Roman number three in your handout. Let's remember people's fallen condition. Again, we're trying to get the bigger context, all right? Everybody on the planet, if they don't know the Lord, has some real big problems, okay? And those problems are spelled out to us in Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2. So let's have a Bible reader talk about, or read to us about the falling condition of man. What's it say there in verse 1 is the condition or the state of people? Dead in sins and trespasses. Now, how, I heard one you know, pastor say, well, how dead is dead? Dead's dead. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, how long's forever? Forever. Forever's forever. Forever. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, well, dead's dead. Dead. I mean, how do you, what, what other words can we put to it, okay? Try to get our minds around that truth, okay? Well, you know, you think about walking the halls here on Sunday, the people in the parking lot and, you know, that kind of stuff. If, if people come in here, if they're not alive in Christ, what are they? They are dead in their trespasses and sins, okay? Out here on Bear Paw Pass to the Bear Stadium or whatever they are. I mean, if, if people going and coming to that, if they're not in Christ, they are dead in their sins and trespasses. In other words, it's a binary issue. You're one or the other. Okay? And 
that's one of the things we need to tell folks who are coming to this church and who call this their church home and they say, well, my parents baptized me, I'm a member, and I'm living like the devil. Oh, that, that isn't what my Bible says people do, that know and love the Lord. Okay? People make false professions. You know, we, need, we need to say to people, maybe you're still dead in your sins and trespasses. Even though you're a member of this church, maybe you need to be converted. Okay? Apostle Paul was converted. He thought everything was fine with what he was doing. Okay? And that's the state of most of us. Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eternally dead. Spiritually dead. Okay? And eventually you'll be physically dead and spiritually dead. Both. Okay? Yeah, there's hope in the Lord. Yeah, and that's what we want to help people to understand. But as you're teaching your students, just recognize there's two, you have, you've got two, two kinds of students in your class. You've got the dead and alive ones spiritually. They're one or the other. Okay? And uh, keep that in mind. Again, that's the broader context, and that should govern how we teach. Okay? All the more, then, that we teach a God-focused and Christ-centered Bible, given the reality of what's really going on here. Okay? Now, Letter B here. Let's remember, these, again, these are things we want to remember, and I'm kind of breaking this down to give you a bit the bigger picture here. God's matchless grace to us in Christ. All right? And uh, somebody read, um, you know, let, let's just read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Somebody read that one for that just that part of this passage. Yeah, 8. Where's it coming from? What's the source? It's God. God's doing this. We don't redeem ourselves. Okay? We, we don't somehow gin it all up. We don't grit our teeth and somehow get up some more faith. Okay? God gives us the faith to believe. God regenerates us. Because we can't regenerate ourselves. Okay? Again, you know, if, if you click on the Christian radio, this isn't necessarily what you're going to hear. This isn't, uh, you know, you're going to hear a lot of what, what it, what's called, you know, semi-Pelagianism. That's a fancy word to say. You can save yourself. Okay? You just need to accept Jesus. Oh, I didn't know a dead person could accept anything. Okay? And that's why we talk about the necessity of being born again. You've got to be born so that you can receive anything. Okay? Because it's given to you. You know, you're receiving it. You're not getting it. Okay? You're not taking it. God's giving it. See, see what's going on here. Okay? Now, let's talk about, again, the Bible here um, and how God's word plays into this. Anybody quote Romans 10, 17? Because when I do, you'll go, oh, I knew that. <laughs> sure. I think he got it right. <laughs> okay. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, again, some of the, if, when I quote scripture, some of you are going, that's a little odd. Just remember, I was born in the last century, and I learned some of this stuff in the King James Version, okay, before all these more modern translations, okay? So, and, and then I've got King James uh, mixed in with other things, too, so it doesn't, it's not, it's, it's no version, it's, it's my foggy memory, but, yes, yeah, 
it's, it's hard not to quote it without that. Uh, and I always think, it, it, what I find real quick on that is that's where I first learned it. And if I'm trying to quote it in a, in a teaching situation or if I'm, you know, in a, like if I was with my friend at the hospital this morning, he'd get the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version because that's, that in a more stressful situation, that's just what's there, okay? So it's great to have it in there in some form or another. But again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, where does faith come from? So think this through. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the faith is coming from God how? By hearing God how? Through the word of God. So you see, we, we call this the ordinary means of grace. This is God's ordinary way of doing this. Okay? Every once in a while, there's a, maybe an angel involved or something. Okay? But that's pretty rare. Okay? And that's, that's what we, we learned from, about the Bereans in Acts, is they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. And that's what we should do. We should we be, be like those Bereans. Let's search it out, check it out, learn. Okay? But again, why do we teach the word? Okay? It came from God, and it's God's means of salvation. Whoa! Do you, you mean Sunday school isn't just a picnic? No. No. Okay. Well, is, is Sunday school supposed to be a, a, a good time? Yes. But we better be teaching the Bible or why have it? Okay. And, you know, somebody say, it's, oh, you know, we should just let the kids play. We're just babysitting. No, 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 no. No, no. You know, last time I checked, we're, we're, we're conducting a Sunday what? What's the second No, Sunday school. School. Say that again. School. school. Okay. Now, there's all kinds of concepts about school out there. Well, let's have a Christian biblical view of this is a school where we're instructing people of the Word of God because it's God's way of revealing salvation to people. Pretty important. Okay. You might say, well, we don't have much time for anything else. Right. We don't. Okay. We've got an hour here or 45 minutes here or whatever it is. We better be bearing down on this, okay? When we have vacation Bible school, let's bear down on the Bible a little bit, okay? We're, okay, we're going to play a little game here or something like that. I don't have any problems with those kinds of things. Not, not opposed to a church picnic, okay? But, boy, there better be some preaching and teaching very seriously the things of the Lord, okay? And take that uh, very to heart. Now, look at number two here, letter B. Sanctification comes through his word. Can, I, can anybody quote John 17, 17? Because if I start saying it, you go, oh, yeah, I knew that. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Where does sanctification come from? 
It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit to guide and to teach us. But what's the means of the Holy Spirit to do that? The Word. Okay. Again, this is God's means or God's way of sanctifying us. Okay. And as the Holy Spirit guides what he does, as he teaches, as he convicts, all those kinds of things, he's going to do it through his word. Um, Got a cross-reference I just thought I'm going to read to you about this. Uh, Acts 20.32 says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, that's the scriptures, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of his grace is God's means through the work of his spirit to sanctify us. Let's not forget that. Now, put that in the context of your teaching. You've got your Sunday school class, your home Bible study, your VBS, or whatever that is, whatever age level. You see the importance of teaching God's word from these verses. How are people going to grow up to be fully devoted followers of Christ? How are they going to experience a renewed life, we would say, or a transformed mind, this biblical concept? It's going to come from knowing the Word of God and then living it. That's where it's going to come from. It's not going to come from me just trying somehow. So if somebody's struggling to grow as a Christian, the best thing we can tell them is, Get your nose in the Bible. Have a quiet time. Those concepts are very critical to Christian living. Take your own self personally. I mean, we all have times where, man, you ever have one of those terrible, no good, very bad days that's turned into a week? Okay? You know, those of you that are parenting young children, oh, my goodness, you know, you don't have time to do anything. Read your Bible? Oh, gosh, that was last year. <laughs> you know, it's like, but, hey, where's the sanctification going to come from? Word of God. Okay, where's salvation coming from? Word of God. Okay, so all this is to say, let's turn our students' attention to God through his word. Right? Remember, people are dead in their trespasses and sin. They're alive in Christ because of the grace of God, and the word of God needs to be taught okay, in those contexts to help people. All right, now I'm going to give you some things to watch out for, all right? Now, again, these are common pitfalls uh, that we as teachers can easily fall into. Um, I I speak from experience. (laughs) I've fallen in. I've stepped in, (laughs) not just fallen, okay? And uh, so learn from us that have fallen and stepped into this. So watch it. Here's some things to watch out for, okay? Now, I, will, I, I give uh, a fellow named Brian Chapel. he used to be the president of the Covenant Seminary, uh, uh, credit for teaching me this. I can take you back to the place. I was at a Korean Presbyterian church in Vienna, Virginia. Okay, it's a suburb of D.C. I could take you back to the place I, was, I, said, I could say I was sitting right here, and he was standing right there, and this is what I learned from him. <laughs> okay, And uh, I've kind of put some of it in my words. Not, I'm not quoting him here, but this is the gist of what he taught me. Um, 
he said, we, we need to watch out for teaching that emphasizes trying to be like, dot, 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 trying to be like Moses, trying to be like Paul, trying to be like David. Right? Now, there is biblical warrant to teach that, that these folks give us an example but to teach, okay, boys and girls, you all need to be courageous like David was, is only part of the message. That does not take into the context that I taught on 1 Samuel 17 a minute ago. Granted, David was courageous. Don't get me wrong. But that isn't what the passage is teaching. That's us reading into the passage, thinking about him personally, and go, wow, that took care courage. I agree. But that isn't what the passage teaches, so you got to be careful of that. All right? So these Bible characters do give us an example. All right? I mean, Paul even talked about, follow my example. Okay? Well, as we look at Paul and his example, what we ought to see is there's Paul, and it points us to Christ. That's the point of it. Don't stop with the example, and don't read into the Bible some kind of an example. All right? okay. David and Goliath, that passage doesn't talk about David being courageous. Okay. So the point is, there's an example to follow. Don't get me wrong on that, but don't stop there. Where does the ability to follow that example, or to learn from that example come from? It comes from the Word of God, and the Spirit of God, and the strengthening of God, and the forgiveness of God, and the mercy of God. See what I'm saying? We, we have to take our students to the Lord, not just leave them with the example. There's a curriculum out there okay, that you can buy here at your church. I don't recommend it. But it's called Dare to be Daniel. It's published by a Christian, evangelical Christian publisher. I mean, think about that. Do you want to dare your students here to be like Daniel? I don't believe that's a biblical message. Because what that does, it's appealing to their self-effort. It's a self-righteous building program. Hey, I did it. Look at me. I dared it and I did it. They dared me. Wait a minute. That, think this through for a second. That's pushing people to somehow be like somebody. Well, where are they going to get the wherewithal to do that? The appeal is to themselves. And we need to say, you know, we need to be dead to ourselves and alive unto Christ. Where is the power coming from? Where is the conviction coming from? It comes from the Lord. So don't just leave them with the be like. Okay? And, and by the way, nearly... An awful lot of the Bible characters, you really don't want your kids to be like. <laughs> you think about it. And we need to teach them that. Don't want to be like these people. Okay? You want to fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, not Moses. Okay? So, you know, <laughs> I mean, just these Bible characters be no different if one of us was in there. You know, there'd be some things about, oh, you know, Dan prayed for his sick friend in the hospital, but Dan lied. <laughs> okay. yeah, we all have these, you know, 
I'll, I'll say, more sanctimonious kind of you know, things. And we'd have some sin things in there. And oh, boy, if these folks like David could come back, oh, my, they talked about that Bathsheba thing in the Bible. <laughs> really, why'd they bring that up? <laughs> okay. All right? I mean, even if you were humble, you'd say, oh, don't, don't teach people that stuff. They, that's not good to know about. Okay. Anyway, here's another thing to watch out for. Teaching that emphasizes doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. We tend to call that moralizing. That's the kind of the one word that summarizes it. Again, the Bible teaches morals. It teaches right and wrong. Don't get me, hear me straight on that. And, and we do need to teach. Stealing's sin. That's bad. That's evil. Okay? And, and telling the truth, that's right. That's good. Okay, we need to teach those things. However, we need to teach it in the context of what it means to be a Christian. Guess what? We need a Savior. Tell a lie, you need a Savior. You need forgiveness. Okay? You steal something, you need forgiveness. You need the Savior. Okay? And, and we need the, the bigger picture. Don't just teach the morals. All right? And that's where we tend to fall into kind of this you know, legalism. We just teach the morals. We don't teach Jesus. And so, you know, when we talk about being honest, we, we need to say, you know what? When you're not honest, when you're dishonest, when you tell a lie, there's hope, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. That's why we have a Savior. Repentance is the grace of God. The fact that we would be convicted of our sin and that we repent of our sin, that's the grace of God being poured on us. All right? So watch out for the moralizing, just stopping. Again, it's, it's this, you know, I would say that the being like and the moralizing... It's like we're giving people half the, half the truth. We, we, we give them this half, but we don't give them Christ. We don't give them God. We don't, there, there isn't this broader context that needs to be included. Um, then number three here, we've got to watch out for being more disciplined. This is the working harder at it, trying harder okay, type of thing. Um, I mean, how much Bible study is enough? Not enough. There are not enough hours in the day. Well, let, let, let's say we devote 10 hours a day to Bible study. You know, seven days a week. You still haven't prayed any. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, so we'll study our Bibles 10 hours a day. We'll pray 10 hours a day, and it's not much time for sleeping. <laughs> Be falling asleep during my prayer time, okay? All right, well, if you do Bible study and... and pray for 20 hours a day, you still haven't done any evangelism. So, gosh, this is just getting to be burdensome. Okay, see what I'm saying? We abide in Christ. We rest in the Lord. We walk by faith. We serve the Lord. Okay, we walk in the Spirit. So that, those are the biblical concepts. We're children of God. All right? we, we seek to live, uh, do all things as unto the, unto the Lord. So, I mean, that, that's all a part of it, okay? And we have to recognize that trying harder, again, we're calling people to their own efforts when we do that, okay? We need, to, we need to call people to discipline themselves diligently in the things of Christ, to be good workmen of the word. But where's the ability coming from to do that? Do they look to themselves or do they look to God? 
God, help me order my time that I could spend 10 or 15 minutes, a half an hour a day in the Word. God, help me order my time that I can whatever. So, In other words, we get people turning their attention to the Lord to the duties of the Christian life, not duty, 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 try, 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 okay? And they miss God in it all, okay? Because they start thinking, man, I got to try harder. I got to read my Bible more, okay? And pretty soon, they're on some guilt trip, self-righteous kind of thing. Now, do you wonder why, this is a kind of a Danism here. I, I've, I've kind of got this unscientific research going, <laughs> okay? I kind of ponder these things, and I think, I wonder if that's why there are so many passive Christians. They've tried and tried and tried and tried and retried and retried and retried, and they failed and they failed and they failed and they failed, and nobody ever said, you know what, you're always going to fail too. Now, start trusting, not trying. Start living by faith, not trying. Start abiding. Start resting in the Lord. Start serving the Lord. Get, get your eyes on Jesus and off yourself and what you're going to do. And you think somehow my doing and my trying is going to somehow please God more. How are you doing at that? And they give up. because they go. I just, so they just show up to church. They just kind of sit around. They just kind of go through the motions because they just are, I'll say, worn out, fatigued by it. Or, you know, we would say the devil just beat them down and they're just there. That's my... I'm just kind of, that's my theory. <laughs> okay. Because. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what they think Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and what I'm saying is, I don't think you can justify this biblically. Okay. Um, because, you know, if you think about the imputed righteousness of Christ, think about that for a minute in light of these, of these things. We have the, the righteousness of Christ credited to us at conversion. All of credit. Now, then we try, try, try. We put this work, 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 self-effort kind of thing on people or on ourselves. Is that adding anything to our righteousness? No. That, th this is not a life of faith. This is a life of self-effort self-righteousness, that's the same approach to living we had apart from Christ. I mean, the typical person is going to say, well, I think I'll probably go to heaven or be with God or however they say that because I'm a little better certainly than the guys in prison. You know, there's this measuring, I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can. Well, wait a second, if we're redeemed, if Christ has all of our unrighteousness, if we're completely forgiven and we have all of his righteousness, see, see what, are we adding anything to that? No. But the devil wants us to keep thinking, all right, keep trying to somehow please God. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a balance here of walking in righteousness and repenting of our sins as Christians. Don't get me wrong on that. Okay. Not teaching perfectionism or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, to call people to constantly try harder and they start thinking, I'll somehow please God. Wait a second. They're not going to gain more righteousness with God. We seek to discipline ourselves unto godliness because we love the Lord. We want to worship him and honor him 
and thank him for the righteousness we have. That's why we do what we do, not to somehow get more righteous or somehow please him more. Okay? Because you know, we're, we're not somehow on this treadmill of sanctifying ourselves. That's the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, to bring us into conformity to who we are in Christ. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, and yeah, and, and and is the focus the Lord or is the focus on I want to look good with everybody? See, it's that kind of wait a second, am I doing this as unto the Lord or am I doing it so that I'll get the pat on the back and the star on my chart and you know the pastor will say I'm a wonderful guy and the session will send me a letter. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So you know, again, we, we get into these deceivious things. Right, right. But, you know, I think the Lord continues to sort our thinking and our motivation on these things through the years as we teach and we listen to ourselves teach, as we prepare, as we do all these kinds of things, we start going, hmm, Jan, I think that's a little self-righteousness. You need to repent of that. Okay, Jan, I think you're a man-pleaser here. You need to repent of that. I mean, the Spirit of God, that's just me talking to myself, the Spirit of God talking to me. I get it. <laughs> okay, starting to get get clarity on the sin issues here. And I repent of those things and I start teaching more as unto Christ as opposed to as unto men or as unto myself, as unto my students or as unto the pastor or the, 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 these other motives and things. So it's great to be a Christian, sort this stuff out. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's so succinctly put. I appreciate that. It's so helpful to help us summarize, you know, what we're trying to say here. Um, now, let's go to letter D here again. These are some things to remember. I'm trying to remind you of some things. Talk about the fallenness of man, uh, everybody. And we've talked about God's grace to us in Christ. It's about these things to watch out for, some of these pitfalls that we can step into. And then also to remember our chief end, okay? And that's to glorify God. In uh, Romans 11:36 is one of these verses that just really, really helps to um, put this before us and also to contemplate this the rest of our days. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So remember our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever as the catechism summarized. Um, so... We want to have these things clearly in our mind. So it's very important for us as Bible teachers to you know, keep the Word of God focused properly, at, that it's about God. He's the main character, the main subject. He wrote it. It's about his plan of redemption for us in Christ. And as we teach, teach that context to our students um, so that they understand whether we're teaching about Moses or whether we're teaching about Paul or we're teaching about the Ephesians, or the Israelites, or whoever we're teaching, or whatever we're teaching about, wait a second, they, they see the Lord in all of this, and get the context for what's going on. And if you're using the Great Commission curriculum, we help you to do that. I mean, these are the kind of things that are rooted into our lesson plan development that you all have and stuff. So you can teach the material, use the materials we produce with confidence that this is the type of thing that we're helping you to do.